good evening and welcome to the Bible class of Arcway Ministries Church. Um, we like to, I'd like to thank you all for being here and we're going to continue, we're just going to go right on into it if we could. Uh, we're going to continue into the conversation of the pre-Christian era. Uh, we're going to do a quick Reacquainting uh, ourselves of our conversation, and then we're going to move forward a little bit further. Um, the current uh, state that we have right now, um, in our from our last conversation or our last Bible class, um, we had talked about the early uh, period before the Seleucid uh, Empire came in and influenced the. Jewish um, experience in Judaism. Um, and we talked about the Seleucid uh, Empire that ruled over the Jewish nation at that time. And we talked a little bit about the Hasmorean uh, uh, nation of the Jews. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more into that um, and talk about some of the um, ideals and the current a structure of the church, or I shouldn't say the church, but of the Jewish nation and the Jewish people and the Jewish Judaism. Um, and we're going to talk about um, those uh, influences because they were extremely influential on the early life of Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to begin tonight by a recap of what we talked about last week. Okay, so last week uh, in our Bible class, we began around the year of 336. 336 is important because that's around the year that Alexander the Great uh, began to conquer this portion of the world um, in that area, in that era, uh, the Syrian, Palestinian, and uh, uh, upper. Egyptian uh, frame uh, areas. Um, and he ran across a small group of individuals in a kingdom that was running itself and being trying to live, live its, do its own, being completely autonomous. And instead of Alexander the Great, the Great destroying the nation and making them his, he became intrigued by this small nation of people and listened to their stories about how their God had rescued them and took care of them and presented himself. And he was fascinated. And so he allowed them to continue to believe as they were. He didn't destroy the nation. He set them up as a, as a promised people and said, as long as you continue to abide by my rules and my laws, you can remain and believe however you wish. This was a monotheistic kingdom that existed amongst the polytheistic and the polytheism that accompanied Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is the greatest Hellenizer of that Middle Eastern world. And with that Hellenism influence came the ability to uh, improve the Jewish oration experience 
and the transmission of information. The Jews gained so much from Hellenism that they honestly had already began to replace the majority of the Hebrew language that they spoke on a regular day with Greek. They, the, or with at least um, the Greek and the Manichaeistic languages that existed with, around the region. Uh, because they had already gone through such upheaval from Babylon, the Hebrew language was more relegated to the church and the writings which were sort of separated from the greater community than um, anything else. So uh, Greek and Grecian language and Greek rhetoric, um, Hellenism, uh, I should say hermeneutics and homiletics, all of those things came out of Hellenism's view of rhetoric. And so from that um, time frame from 336 uh, to about the year 287, um, I have it here between 300 and 290, the Septuagint was commissioned by Ptolemy. And around the 287 time frame, um, Rome became into, into popularity around 264 uh, BC. Um, so around 280 to 90, right before Rome was doing his thing, uh, Ptolemy of Alexandria, which was an Egyptian, uh, asked for the Jews to, uh, to uh, write down the Torah in Greek for transmission and for traveling and for moving around. Remember, Alexander had already come through and brought everybody under Hellenistic view. So the Jews and Eleazar acquiesced to submitting uh, 70 Jewish rabbis and scholars to Alexandria, Egypt, to write the Septuagint and to create the first, the written form of the first five books of the Bible. Now, this is important because in Jewish culture and in Judaism, you cannot write the word of God. You can only orally transmission and, and pass it from generation to generation orally. You can't write it. So, yet, the Torah was already written by Moses. So the writing of the Torah was commendable. The problem for the Jewish was that in order to make something readable for Greek, you had to end, you had to, you had to add vowels. And if you didn't have the vowels and if you didn't have the oral Torah to accompany the written Torah, you couldn't write it in a way that was legible for anyone to read it. So the initiating split of the Jewish kingdom was apparent in the earliest years before the Hasmorean kingdom came into, battle, came into being around 280, 290, and 260. So we move from 260, and now we have about maybe 167, the Maccabean Revolt, um, in which um, the, the, the 
Jews began to rebel against the leadership of the waning Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire is coming in to hurt, and so the Maccabean Jewish kingdom begins to shun and build itself up, and it becomes an autonomous nation of the Jews. This is called the Hasmorean dynasty, the Jewish dynasty, okay? So in this time frame between 167 and about maybe 34 BC, the Jews are pretty much independent. They have their own kingdom, they have their own government, they have their own rulership, and they can pretty much operate and live however they wish. They define how they, who they will be. Um, they still have to deal with uh, uh, threats from the outside, but for the most part, uh, Rome is developing itself and building itself up and fighting internally, and they're pretty much ignoring this Jewish nation other than this, other than this Jewish nation paying them tribute or taxes to make, remain unconquered. And Rome had already continued with Alexander the Great's uh, uh, ideal of the Jewish people and their uniqueness to use them as sort of a lucky charm. Okay? So, and that's a long period of time. You're talking about from 167 BC to about 30 AD or BC. That's a long period of time for them to be autonomous, to be their own nation, even while Rome had its nation. So the ideal of the Jewish person for that period was that we run ourselves, okay? Uh, along this time frame, they were still dealing with the inferences of Hellenism. Because of the vast influence of Hellenism, Two groups grew out of that, this problem, this difference. One was a strict orthodoxy of Judaism in their concept, and the other wanted to grow and to become more involved and more inclusive. This is the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Now, for most of us in our churches, we sort of clump the two together as one Jewish contrarian band of people against Jesus Christ. That's pretty much how we kind of get the idea and understanding of Christianity. That's not necessarily the case. The Pharisees were the literal translators of the law. They believed in the oral transmission of the scriptures to be propagated from person to person from generation to generation and never to be written down. The schools of the Pharisees came in two flavors. One school of the Pharisees was the school of Shemui, Shemin, Shemnai, Shemnai. S-H-A-M-N-E-I. I think that's the way it's spelled, I'm not sure. And the other is the school of Hillel. This is important for the Christian development to understand this. Before Christ, these two schools existed. Now, what is the difference between the, the two schools? 
The two schools identified the two main purposes of the Torah, which it existed. And the main purposes of the Torah was justice and grace. The courts was the school of Shemunya, Shemui, Shemnai. Yeah, I think it's Shemnai. The courts were the school of Shemnai. Grace was the school of Hillel. Hillel was considered to be the more patient. Shemnai was the more brash. It was the more, uh, uh, this is the way that it is, and we don't change. Hillel was, this is the way that it is, yet we look at it like this. So from the school of Hillel, the Sadducees, who saw things more allegorically, got their base. And from the school of the Pharisees, you got access to both schools, um, uh, I should say, uh, identities. Okay, So in the Pharisees, you could be literal and full of grace. But most likely in the Sadducees, you were more concerned with the grace portion of the grace giving. Um, and the less literal translations of the scriptures, okay? So, as you see, the, the influence of these two groups was extremely heavy throughout the Hasmorean um, time period, uh, even up to the year 30. Now, there occurred during the Hasmorean time period, a civil war. The civil war between the Pharisees and the Sadducean. The two groups had a problem with one another. The main problem was the transmission of the scriptures, how the scriptures were handled, how the definition and what the definition going forward of the Jewish people would be. Would they be one that was conquered again, or would they be one that set themselves apart? Okay? And so during the Hasmodean time period, the identity of Judaism was under threat. And so the civil war within the, civil, the Hasmodean period kicked in, and the battles were fierce. And so with this battle, the Sadducees, allied, the Sadducees allied themselves with the external kingdoms outside, the Syrian kingdoms outside of the Jewish kingdom, and the Greek and the Roman kingdom, the Roman nation. But the Romans were pretty much on their own. They really didn't pay that much attention, you know, just as long as things don't go crazy. Pompey intervenes in the year 63 in the Civil War. As Pomp when Pompey intervenes, he begins to he begins to put his influence behind the Sadducees and raise up the Sadducees in points of leadership, in places of leadership. And the Sadducees begin to become the political figures of the Jewish people, the political ideas. They represent the Jews to the Greeks and they represent the Jews to the Syrians. They represent the Jews to everyone by Pompey's rule and his intervening. This enrages the, the rabbinical 
Jewish Pharisees even more so, and they became much more vocal and much more um, threatening to the Sadducees who are now considered Romans and therefore they are a threat to Rome. And Herod moves in around the year 35, 36. And when he comes in, he eventually initiates the massacre of the Pharisees. And he literally went through like a lawnmower with the Roman legions and killed any male standing in the Jewish nation at that time. That was a Pharisee. And they were left almost obliviated, those Jews that stood against Rome in that area. And so um, after that, the Sadducees uh, went back and started leading and you know how you, you, you just pretty much brought someone in to cut your brother down. You're trying to figure a way to reconcile that. You're in charge and so you start initiating things that are help rebuild and rebuild the trust and rebuild the connection and rebuild the thing and they begin to, but in the process because of that destruction, that layer of removal of threat to both the Hellenistic view of Judaism and the allegorical concepts and constructs that come along with Hellenism, that rises up and grows more so in the Jewish nation and the Pharisees' literal concepts and ideals become less fluid and valuable to the Jewish nation. Um, it becomes dangerous to be a Pharisee um, and then it becomes unique to be a Pharisee. So then around the year 10 uh, to 1, we find a school of Shemuni, which is the Pharisaic, Pharisaic school, decrease, and the school of Hillel increases. Okay? because of the influence of Herod and what he did in the year 32-34. All right, so between 32 and 34, through about maybe 12, the year 12 uh, the, of BC, before the Common Era, um, you begin to see the ideals of the Sadducean allegorical constructs of Judaism become the more dominant in the Jewish, in, in the Jewish constructs of Jude, what Judaism is, in their definitions, in their um, literary, in how they look at the law, and how they apply the law to one another. So the justice becomes less, um, less, less uh, of a bear upon the people, and the construct and the concept of uh, of grace and allowing people to do things and being patient becomes a much more uh, loftier goal of the people in their teaching and in their understanding. Um, Jesus is born into this in about the year 3 BC, BE, BC, before the Common Era. He's born about maybe 3. 
That's pretty much what everyone kind of gets an idea. Uh, around this time, Hillel's doctrine was moving forward. And Shemui's school, Shemnai's school, I keep saying Shemui, but Shemnai, was also moving well around that time frame. Um, but Hillel held the greater influence among the people. So, um, as you imagine, uh, before Christ, we have a robust concept of the Hellenistic view of who God is. Okay? This is identified in the writer Philo Judaeus. Okay? Who existed around the time of Hillel. Um, he was an earlier contemporary of Hillel, more than likely. Um, around the time of Jesus Christ, a little bit later, may have been born. Hillel was definitely born earlier than he was. Um, but he came in around that time, maybe 20 or something like that. Um, definitely older than Jesus Christ was. And he identified the, I, the concept, and he followed through with the, he identified with the concept of the Sadducean allegorical and uh, a Hellenized view of what Judaism should be. It should be more open. It should be more available to both Jews in the Seleucid or the Greek Empire or the Roman Empire, as well as Jews in the Roman Empire. Um, this, you can begin to see, are the seeds of what people are looking for with the church, but before the church was even thought of. Okay, So before Christ even stepped on the scene, the idea of bringing people together of these two types, these two races, these two beliefs, these two constructs was already in play, okay? Between, uh, and because of the rejection of the literal constructs of the, of the scriptures versus the allegorical concepts of the scriptures. Now, we already talked about the first two. There are also two other groups that were developed around this time frame. And that, those other two groups were the Essenes, who, as a result of Herod's, um, uh, uh, I should say, heavy-handedness with the Jews, they began to walk away from the, from the fighting Pharisees and Sadducees and moved out into the desert. Okay? So these are the guys in the desert the Essenes. When you begin to talk and look in the scriptures about individuals going out into the desert, this is more or less the individuals they went out there to be with. John the Baptist, when he was in the desert, a lot of people, based upon the scriptures, believe that he was just out there by himself. Um, most scholars and most historians um, looking at that time frame and the period and the doctrine that accompanied John the Baptist identify him as someone who was amongst the Essenes more so than anyone else. 
as well as Jesus Christ, who also went into the desert. And most of the time in the Jewish construct and ideas, if someone goes into the desert, this is where they're going. <laughs> okay? This is where they're talking about who they're going to be fellowshipping with. This is where they're going to be learning. This is where they're going to be getting the instructions from, the Essenes or the individuals out in the desert. The individuals in the desert were considered to be more peaceful. They followed strictly behind the uh, literal interpretations of the scriptures without the influence of the Pharisees' heavy-handedness or the, uh, the soft interpretations that accompanied Hillel's school in the allegoricalism of the Sadducees. So they rejected both, and they ended up developing their own construct of what Judaism was. And then the Zealots. And the Zealots were those individuals that were young and didn't appreciate the literal translations of the scriptures by the Pharisees, nor the new um, leadership and the means by which the leadership was brought about through the Sadducees and the Hasmorean Civil War, these are the losers, most of them, the young men, the ones that escaped, and they're angry. They want the nation back. They want the leadership, they want the independence back. This are the zealots. And the zealots continuously battle Rome until the year 70, when they are literally just destroyed at Masada. And the rest of them are just left there and they just, they just took care of them out of there. And after Masada, they pretty much just went away. That was the destruction of them. And then they destroyed the temple in 70, and that was pretty much about it. But that's a little later. We won't get there yet. Um, so the zealots existed, but the zealots were very, very vocal. They were very active. They were looking for someone. They were looking for a leader. When you talk about individuals that were looking for a messiah in the traditional sense of what um, a Messiah was supposed to be from the Jewish construct, these are the people who most often are identified with following behind someone they believe is going to pull them out from underneath the Roman rule. When you hear a lot of pastors and a lot of people talk about the Jews wanting to be out and they were looking for Jesus to take them out of um, the, 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 the nation of Rome and to defeat the Romans and to become a whole nation on themselves, they're talking about this group of individuals and their onset, their idea of what the Messiah was supposed to do. Okay? That's from a zealot look at, a look at, the, at the zealots in their perspective of who Jesus was. Um, the Essenes in their perspective of who Jesus was was just another solid teacher, um, a prince. It's very important to get that understanding real quick. I'm going to drop that on you real quick. When we talked about the two schools of Shemnai and Hillel, as a definition, the title applied to these individuals was Anissi. And Anissi in Judaism or in Hebrew means prince. Now, a prince of princes is someone who is a teacher of teachers. Okay? So a prince is a teacher. A prince is not a ruler. A prince is a teacher. 
So these two individuals who were over these schools were teachers, large, they were teachers of teachers, okay? So that's what a prince is in, Juda, in, in Judaism, okay? Philo Judeus was never the prince, <laughs> okay? He was just an explorer, he was a writer. He was a, 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 a very influential individual, a very well-written man, a very intellectual man, because if you knew how to write in that vein of, man, of thought to rival some of the larger writers of Rome in the Hellenistic period, you were considered someone that'd be listened to. Whether or not your ideals were right or wrong, as long as you wrote them and you had them in a way that they could be passed on and transmitted through writing, you were extremely influential. This is why a lot of the earlier books of the Bibles had a lot of individuals writing books about who Jesus was and how this is, and they were all valid during the first period because they were written. If you could write it, it was, in, it was golden, right? So as we move on past Halal's influence, Jesus is born, and Halal's influence of allegorical, um, or I should say grace and uh, patience in the Jewish application of the scriptures was more influential than Shemnai. It was what was taught to the majority of Jews that existed between the year 10 and the year 12, or 20, or even 26, or even 30. It was Hillel's doctrine that ran. It was Hillel's doctrine that, that led the schools of the Pharisees. See, here's the thing, a lot of people, and it really confused me earlier, was if the Pharisees were so literal, why then did they have someone who wasn't as literal as the Pharisees were literal with Shimni and Gamaliel was over the Pharisees? And Gamaliel came from the school of Hillel. And Paul was of the school of Gamaliel. So of this grace school that existed in Hillel, which pretty much ruled almost everything with his concept and construct and thought. When Herod destroyed the Pharisees, the influence of the Sadducees grew, the influence of Hillel grew, and the influence of Gamaliel grew, and therefore anyone that was anyone attested themselves or attached themselves to Gamaliel had, 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 had some weight, carried some weight, okay? So as in the Jewish nation, and this is in the Jewish nation, all right? Now, Jesus Christ is born, year three. He's a baby. And um, as recorded in the most ancient book of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, um, it wasn't anything miraculous until the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we'll talk about those later on. Um, so as Jesus is raised and Herod is around and ruling Jewish in Palestine, Judaism, Syria, and Palestine, uh, his life and his influence and the things that occurred with his birth with the three wise men and all of that occurred around that first uh, pre-year one and year one, okay? 
So Jesus would have been about maybe three years old when that thing probably took place uh, with Herod and him trying to kill everybody of a certain age. And the, the uh, three wise men coming to see Mary and so on and so forth. He would have been a little bit older around the time that they tried to kill him. Um, he probably have been, with the three wise men, it may have been on day three, on the year three, but by the time Herod was starting to look for him and find him and all that good stuff, he was a little bit older. So the time frames and the time lapses um, show that Herod was looking for him before the three wise men got there. Um, it sort of really gets kind of iffy in there in the history. Uh, but let's just take the scriptures as the scriptures say. Herod was looking for him about year three. Um, couldn't find him. Everything occurred between the year three and the year two. Jesus is born about the year three and uh, around the year three, year two. And then uh, we move forward and he's a child and he's moved off to um, Egypt from the book of Luke. Okay, so he goes to Luke, he goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, which is Alexandrian, which is Hellenistic, um, he's trained and raised and then he comes back um, into Judah around the year uh, 15, maybe 16, okay? So that's the first pre-statement in the pre-time before um, uh, the birth of Jesus. And then we get into um, the early life of Jesus, which is really doesn't have a lot of information in the scriptures about what Jesus applied to. Other than the different uh, um, portions of Luke where it talks about where as a young child he was found in the uh, synagogues teaching and talking to the older ones. The, the places that would have allowed him in uh, as a child would more or less likely have been of the school of Hillel. Because the school of Shemni would never allow a child in there, okay? Because they were strict, they were of the courts, they were of justice. So they would not have any understanding or concept to allow a child to sit before them and talk to them about anything. But with the patience that was established or championed within the school of Hillel, almost anyone could come and talk and begin to express themselves in the ideals that existed about what they believed about God, what they believed and what they understood about this, and then they would be heard, which means their words would be considered with some weight uh, as if God had been speaking through them unto them to teach them about the scriptures and to understand what everything that was coming in because the place was considered to be a holy place. It wasn't the person, it was the place. So anyone that walked into the place of the synagogue where the great teacher and the prince was, they would be speaking out of the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to understand this too. Throughout all of this time, when we talk about the transmission and the way and the means of transmission, the reason the Jews and the, the issue between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was such a big problem is because you were messing with the Holy Spirit. Now there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, and I'd always talked about this before, um, but I got the revelation and I got a better understanding by looking at this 
construct in the ideas of the transmission and the means of transmitting data and information from one to the other. The Holy Spirit, according to the Old Testament and the scriptures, influenced the prophets to write and to speak those portions regarding the Torah. In other words, when you read the Torah, the Torah was all consonants, no vowels. So you didn't have a way of understanding what it meant, what it said. So the vowels or what it was trying to say and what it meant came about by the Holy Spirit unto the prophets to explain or prophesy about what was written. That's the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Ghost, which is considered that portion of the Spirit or another aspect of the Spirit, comes in to enable you access to the Holy Spirit. In other words, what you get is an understanding of the scriptures as it's spoken to understand they come from God, which you did not understand before, okay? So the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost is the Holy, the Holy Spirit can alight upon those initiating access to the written word of God. As I go through the scriptures, as I go through the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit illuminates my understanding of the scriptures. As I read, as I understand, and in the interpretations, I trust that God is walking with me, walking with me through the scriptures, and therefore, as I become more aware, and I am in concert with the other writers and other prophets of the scriptures, I am influenced by what is understanding stood as, as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is the initiator. It's the conversion. It's the acceptance that you have what you need to gain access to the Holy Spirit upon necessary, what you didn't have before. You understand? So in order to gain access for most people to the Holy Spirit, you've got to go through the Holy Ghost. Okay? You have to go through the Holy Ghost. You, you, you get that by the acceptance of God allowing you access to get to know him in the words of God. Without that, you're trying to figure out what he's trying to say on your own, and you'll end up in a place that's more or less where you define what God is than what God is defining what he is. And he's already defined who he is by his Holy Spirit upon the prophets. This is why it's extremely important to understand what happened before Christ. Because before Christ, the Holy Spirit defined where he was going and what God wanted to do. He was already working on behalf of every human being before Christ. Before Christ got there, he had already established that he was going to develop a way to bring more people in, even though here, even at the year 167 BC, they didn't see it. 
and they didn't understand it, and they didn't get it. And through the Hasmorean period, they didn't understand. But by the time Pompey gets in and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the events that occurred that causes the individuals that strictly and literally adhered to God's word to be wiped out nearly and yet still survive meant that God was in the place. Because it was easy enough to just wipe them all out. Just continue. Just continue on another couple of months and wipe every last one of them out. But they didn't. They left a few. They left them there. So there'd always be a remnant of God's words of justice and of grace. Okay? So when we begin to talk about certain passages in the scriptures, they may say certain things, um, but you'll hear them spoken of in reference to what had occurred before Christ, out of the mouth of Christ and out of the mouth of the apostles of Christ. Um, so a lot of them reference back to a lot of the statements of Hillel, who was um, extremely influential amongst the Jewish people at that time frame. And it was his view that Jesus Christ was born into. So it was his school that Jesus Christ was more familiar with and where he learned more about what grace and patience and all of those things that he spoke of in the Synoptic Gospels, which was his doctrine. Okay? So his doctrine that he spoke of was heavily influenced by the writings and the school of Hillel, more so than the school of Shemui. Shemna. Yet that did not mean that Shemna's influence did not exist within Jesus Christ. Justice had always existed within Jesus Christ, and justice had always existed within the Jewish people. It may have had its place reduced in, us, in accordance to the abundance of grace, but that did not mean that justice did not ever exist, nor does it exist. Okay? It just decreased. Just as it had decreased prior to Christ, it remained decreased through Christ, and it remained decreased along with us. This is one of the reasons why we don't heavy-handedly push the ideals of this and that and that and this and this. Jesus never did that. He just said adhere to what's already written. Okay? So, with that being said, I think we are done and we'll go on through the Synoptic Gospels and we'll talk about the Synoptic Gospels in historical context and the flow of them between the three books and uh, we'll talk about what Jesus talked about before his death, how it influences, how the, old, how the history influenced his present, how the history and the things that had existed before influenced his present, his present, not our present and not the present of the church, but his present, the time frame that he existed between 1 or 3 and 30. And then we'll go on into the apostles and where the apostles viewed about Jesus Christ and what uh, Jesus Christ's uh, addition to their past caused their presence to look like. All right? And then we'll talk about the church. So, um, are there any questions? No questions? All right, cool. Um, anything that needs to be clarified? I know we moved through this pretty quickly. And um, I just want to make sure that we get it again. Um, 
but that was that was it in a nutshell. I don't think I need to go back through this. This is about two weekend, two weeks of that. So um, if I need to, we can clarify things as we go forward, and I'll try and reference back to this portion of understanding in the later in the next ones. All right. So with that, we're gonna close for the night for Bible class and call it a day. All right. You guys take care.